Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is usually not longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. We are in the home stretch about to hit the release of iOS 16 and the iPhone 14 series, which is probably happening a week from now on you know, next Wednesday. <laughs> so um, this is this is like the busy season. I was, I was explaining to my son at breakfast this morning. Um, why my Minecraft time today is going to be a little bit reduced than normal um, because uh, you know, th- that we basically have two busy seasons as iOS developers, early June and mid-September, and which is now early September this year. Yeah. And, uh, and this, is, this is the other one, you know, explaining why, um, explaining what OS stood for. That was a fun one. Um, but So this is, this is the home stretch, and, and this is one of the first times in a few years that I'm actually feeling it myself. Because for the last few years, I've been so mired in technical debt and uh, honestly motivation issues a lot of those times um, that I wasn't able to even come close to having, you know, iOS X features shipping on the day that iOS X ships. Like I wasn't even anywhere near that. And it would usually take me six months before I would actually like have something for the new OS that was ready. And this year... I was prob I was assuming I was going to be in that same uh, bucket, I guess. Uh, that's the term, right? <laughs> and what happened instead was, uh, at, I believe after last week's show, you remarked to me um, that I should probably just do the lock screen widgets because since I already had other widgets set up, it would take me a very short time. I believe you said like a day. And it ended up taking me to get the initial lock screen, which is going 45 minutes. <laughs> and that included redrawing my icon to be a certain style that would work well <laughs> in those icons. That's good to hear. Thank you. Yeah, you, you were right about that, turns out. Uh, you're, you are sometimes right about things. <laughs> it rarely happens, but I'll take it when, I, I'll take it, when it happens. <laughs> you're, I, I think your hit rate's pretty good. But um, anyway, so that turned out easy. And then some of my users were requesting, hey, can we customize what they do? Or... Can we, um, like, a few people requested that I have lock stream widgets that launch particular playlists. And that seems like an obviously great idea because I already have SF symbols configured per playlist, and those render really nicely in those little circles. So, it seems like a great idea. Of course, why don't I do that? That requires a configuration intent. Oh, no. <laughs> that requires touching intent handling code. And... Then I saw, oh, there's a new app intense framework with iOS 16, and that is awesome because all the previous ways to do intense are terrible and have caused me so much time loss and headaches, banging my head against the walls, fighting the tools, which is always the worst feeling. Um, and the problem is I can't use those pre-iOS 16, and I can't use those for widget configuration yet, as far as I can tell. So I I started diving into my old intent handling code, which is which was largely uh, Objective-C based, or it was like a mixed Objective-C and Swift environment for that. Um, and it had to deal with the auto generation and all these bugs and Xcode that are around that. <laughs> and, and so what started out as very simple, just lock screen widgets that would like launch Overcast or that would just show the, basically what the, what my single, my small widget currently shows, which is like whatever is the most recent or newest episode that come, that came in or was played, just show that and tapping on it resumes it or plays it. That's it. That 
that was part of the 45-minute initial implementation. It was super easy and quick, and I'm super happy I did it. But then trying to get configuration so I could do custom playlist circles, that took me like three days, and it's still not done. Because once that all happened, everything was breaking in my build, and all sorts of things were breaking. And then I thought, oh, why don't I take this opportunity while this stuff is breaking to also modernize the watch targets? Because I had the old, oh, gosh. <laughs> the old two extension system. I could move it into a single extension with the new architecture with SwiftUI lifecycle. Let me try that. That took three days, and it's Gosh. still not done. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> so now I'm I I took on too much too late in the cycle, so I can ship my lock screen widgets in a simpler state, <laughs> you know, on day one. Uh, but uh, I tried to do more, and it blew up in my face. But uh, this is, and, and this is probably against your recommendation of when to add new features and when to stop adding new features in the beta yeah. cycle. Yes, no, it's like, this is definitely something that um, I I have struggled with a lot in terms of deciding when in the cycle is okay to sort of add new features, whereas is there a point at which you have to stop? And so like I have a little tradition for myself where usually it's about two or three weeks out of when I expect the event is going to be. I'll have a little, I make a little sign up that says no more new features. And I put it up in my office right under my monitor. And at that point on, I try and hold myself to not adding any more new features. I can do bug fixes. I can do performance enhancements and things. And if I'm completely honest, I will still add a few features here and there. But it feels like I can change a little bit my mentality around what I'm going to tackle. Like, I don't tackle any, like your second one of like modernizing the watch target. It's like, like, nope, that is absolutely not going to make it in. <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> like, a terrible like, idea. It's like, I, you know, like this year, I think I, you know, I did this a week and a half ago was sort of my line. And since then, I've added a few features, if I'm being completely honest, but they're all tend to be these things where they're very at- at- atomic. Like if they, if they happen, they happen. If they don't, they don't. They tend to be things that I need to be able to implement in, you know, less than a few hours. And they tend to be just sort of like enhancements and tweaks and, you know, ooh, I've had a few options for this or that. And, you know, it's like I did a couple of those uh, this cycle, but I definitely like it's it's, it's, a, it's an approach that I strongly recommend of get as you get closer to just sort of like really dive dive in. And I think the main reason I think it's important is what's been, always been fascinating to me. So, so like this week, um, like the last three days, all I've done is performance testing and bug fixing. And it's kind of funny, like every day I finish work, like usually for me, it's around five o'clock, I'll, I'll wrap up work. And I'll be like, wow, man, I did I had a great day. I fixed all these bugs. I mean, it's like Widgetsmith is basically ready to go. Like it's perfect. Like I can't find any more bugs. And I think they have that, have that, you know, slightly smug feeling all, all evening in the morning. And then I sit down and start, start testing again. And I always find more bugs. <laughs> and it's one of those funny feelings of it's like, but there were no bugs yesterday. How, like how, how are there new bugs? And, um, but if I didn't give myself this, this space and this time to be able to, really try these things out and think of, you know, like try it on different devices, try it in different configurations, go in and like I had one of them. One thing was slightly terrifying this week was I installed version one of Widgetsmith from two years ago um, and did a bunch of configuration and then installed the latest version to make sure that I'm doing kind of like data migration and compatibility correctly. But I got to say like running, you know, a two-year-old version of your app is just the strangest feeling where you're like, oh, this is so creaky, all these weird issues and things and all these things, essentially all of the learnings that you've had over the past two years, like unmanifested in front of you. And it was like, how did this app, how was this app ever popular? How did anyone ever like this? <laughs> this app was awful and terrible. Um, so that's, that, was, that was a fun experience. But I definitely think that as you get closer, the closer you get, the more you need to just not touch it and make 
you know, sort of understand that version is this, you know, like the point run one release afterwards, um, is, is going to be there. You'll have an opportunity to add these things. Um, but yeah, the week, the week before the Apple event is not the time. Oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm hoping to get like, like a couple of good things out there by then, but it's going to be, I, I really like right now it's like my project file is basically like, you know, on the floor in pieces. <laughs> it's like, like I can, I can build it. But it, a lot of things don't work yet, and sure. <laughs> it's like the watch app is a, is a disaster. I have no time to test. Like I should probably just like you know you know use a previous commit, branch off of that, and just you know ship yeah. that as. <laughs> but like I don't you know I, I want to try to get this nice, and that's that's the problem. It's so easy to be like oh just one more thing, oh just one yeah. more thing, oh one more thing, and yeah, and <laughs> and then then all before you know your project files on the floor in pieces, and it takes you a week to put it back together. Yeah, and, and it's and it's like I think the thing I think the hardest part of this is the reality that it is, the things you are doing are like good things and appropriate things and are moving your you know moving the app forward and are like it's not like you're doing things that aren't helpful like this is you know the end result of this would be great and be awesome and like it's definitely a, a, a good place to be but it's just yeah it's like finding the right time to do that kind of work versus and it's like the really you know it's like the real thing that you have to keep in mind is like you want to be ready to you know s- submit the app um you know with even if your, your basic implementation of your lock screen stuff like on day one like ideally that's just sort of what you do and um you know like that will happen but it's like if you're, if you're in a weird state or kind of and you're not sure or you haven't had time to thoroughly test or make sure that it's actually what you want it to be you know it's like then that's that's an awkward place to be because it's like waiting on the sort of best possible features rather than and then shipping nothing is definitely worse than shipping something good and solid um if it isn't as sort of expansive as you would like it to be yeah exactly and and i want to be like i want to be in a good place um with the lock screen widgets in particular and if i if i can get widget configurability that that would be great by then um because i want to be in a good place for that because this fall in particular we are largely expecting the iPhone 14, at least Pro series, to have some kind of always-on screen, and that's and it would be most likely able to show these lock screen widgets in a certain like low luminance state, just like the recent Apple watches have been able to, um, you know, with their always-on screens. And so this is probably like it's fairly pressing that you know if that's if that ends up happening as the rumors have foretold, uh, then there's going to be a lot of power users who get iPhone 14 Pros on day one and really expect all of the nerdy apps like mine, <laughs> it's really all, all like the power user nerdy kind of apps, to be there on day one with really cool lock screen widgets so that they can use their this cool new feature of this cool new phone they just bought. And so that's like that's the kind of thing that gets me to get off my butt and and stop procrastinating and actually ship things quickly. <laughs> and so that's why like I feel pressure, you know, from that end and I imagine you must feel immense pressure because widgets are such a massive proportion of your business at this point <laughs> that like you like anything that touches widgets it's a really big deal to you. Yeah. I mean this I would say this fall is a weird feeling because coming into I was 14 when, you know, widgets were first introduced. I had no expectations, really. Like, I thought it would, you know, I didn't, I had no expectations that Widget Smith was going to be, you know, successful, popular, interesting. Like, I thought it was just like, oh, this is a fun little extension of this app that I made for the Apple Watch that I can now put on 
got the iPhone. And obviously it turned out that that was, you know, that, that was the biggest understatement of the century. Like it's like, no, one turned out widgets were very important and widget Smith was, you know, like very popular and that took me totally by surprise. And so coming into iOS 16, it's this weird tension of there's a part of me that like, because I know what is possible, like I know that it is possible for a feature like this to really kind of just like hit in the culture in a way that is just kind of mind bending and you can have, you know, very wide adoption, lots of interest and it can be this whole thing. Like I know that's possible, but at the same time, I also don't want to be like, it, it's, I don't necessarily expect that to happen twice. Like that was a very unique and, you know, sort of special situation and a combination of a lot of, you know, a lot of things came together for the iOS 14 launch for it to be as special as it was. And so this year, it's just the strange feeling of like, I want to be as ready as I can. I want to have you know, all my ducks in a row, be as, as prepared as I can. But I, on the one hand, I'm expecting like it to be kind of just, you know, normal. Like you know, I, I get everything ready. It launches. It has some, you know, ha- has a little bit of traction here and there. It gets written up in a few of kind of like the techie article, you know, sort of news news places. And that's great. And like, that's my sort of baseline expectation. But it's like in the back of my mind, it's like you also have the... You know, boy, I hope I'm not, A, like missing something that is going to turn out to be the key thing that, you know, with, with, with Widgetsmith, it, I was very close to not having photo support in it. And if I hadn't had any photo support in it at all, I don't think it would have been as successful as it was. And it's like, that was a pretty, you know, it's like, I wouldn't have predicted that that was the key feature. And so like coming into this, you know, this fall, it's like, is there anything that I'm missing? Is there some aspect or some type of widget or some, you know, sort of approach to this that is going to end up turning me out to be really important that I'm not there for. And, you know, it's like some, and some other app does, and then I completely miss up, miss an opportunity. And it's just like, oh, huh, that's, you know, good for them, but kind of sad for me. Like, and I don't know, like, it's it's just impossible to know, but it's like, I'm going into this year with the, the, this weird conflicted feeling of like, you know, on the one hand, bracing for it potentially, the potential for it to be huge and the most likely reality, I think, of it just kind of being normal. And like normal is great. I love normal, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very strange bit of tension and it's definitely kind of amped up my level of preparation and the level of kind of polish that I feel like I need to, to, to have ready on day one this year, just because like the stakes feel higher than, uh, than usual. I think that's, that's a reasonable concern, but ultimately like the, you know, that feeling of like, what if I miss the big thing or what if someone else beats me to the big thing? That that's a feeling that I think we all have around this time of year. You know, when when you know we know that like something is about to change. You know, when new iPhones ship, m- many times there is some kind of new ability that they provide, and then there is kind of this like race to to see who who gets there first to take advantage of it and capitalize on it. Um, and that can that can make big shifts and changes in, in like what apps are dominant in certain categories or or what apps what apps what app categories even can exist. Uh, but ultimately, I think. The reason why you are prepared for you know all this stuff is like is you are you are one of the people who is most prepared in the business to to tackle this because you have all this experience like this is one of the benefits of being a developer of many apps in the past is that you have tons of experience with a very wide variety of different APIs past and present dealing with different hardware capabilities uh, and you know different styles of apis like you have such a big uh you know experience behind you and you have tons of experience shipping stuff like getting stuff done quickly and getting it out there and so you are probably the most 
able to quickly capitalize on something that like that. That being said, being number one in any kind of area is very stressful because when you're number one, all you you know you have a lot of pressure on you to just to not lose that spot. And most of it is probably self-imposed, but that's still real pressure. And so that I can imagine being like you know a big deal for you you know internally. However, uh, I do think that you are best poised to actually take advantage of it. Like suppose there is some you know, some kind of new widget ability that for some reason we did not predict. Now, that's probably not going to happen. I think we know like from the watch always on screen, they have like the, you know, the the, the, the low, low luminance, whatever they call it, mode for widgets. Like we can be pretty sure what's probably going to happen here. But suppose some, some you know, something comes out of left field, right? Uh, uh, is that the right metaphor? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know enough about baseball. I don't know. Do things ever come out of left field? Don't they go into left field and then get thrown back? I think anyway, I think, I think things are coming out of left field. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know. That doesn't make sense to me because I think you know you see the ball going into left field. Anyway, so yeah. <laughs> assuming that there's some kind of sports reason why that metaphor makes sense, and assuming that something comes out of nowhere and, and that no one's expecting you are very likely to to be the person who is able to take advantage of that first or or at least tying with everyone else who gets there on the same day, you know? So I wouldn't worry too much about that. Um, and, and what I've seen, too, from my own experience with my app is that even though I have a nerdy audience, that nerdy audience is also very patient um, in certain ways. Now, if there's some major new OS feature like widgets before, like when widgets came out in, what was that, I was 13 or 14? I was 14, 14. 14, yeah. So when widgets came out in 14, I didn't have them on day one. I, I didn't have them until like four or five months later, something like that. It, it was a while because uh, I was I was really in a bad state back then with with the app. But um, at that time, I it took a few months before I started getting one star reviews for not having them. And so, like people people do expect that to be there on day one when they're nerds and they get their new phone, but. If you're not there on day one with something big, you know it, it, it takes a little while before it actually really starts affecting your business. So if you're a few weeks late, it's fine. Many many people are a few weeks late. It's only big nerdy apps like ours that that are actually even there on day one. Sometimes, like you look at you know the, the apps from from big companies, like you know Google Docs is famous for you know having <laughs> terribly slow adoption of anything. Um, you know, like the, the big company apps. They oftentimes won't adopt anything at all. Like you know, geez, I mean, a lot of these big company apps don't even do like i uh, iPad split screen yet. <laughs> like you launch them in in any of the iPad multitasking modes, and they take up the whole screen because they just didn't bother implementing that. Like there's so much, you know, lag in implementing new features among most of the app landscape that it only really hurts the apps that have very nerdy power user audiences, like like my app. Um, and and you know if you look at something like you know drafts like you know that there's a reason why you know Greg is so you know on top of updating that because that's an that's an audience that demands power user features power user speed and everything most apps aren't like that most apps you don't need to worry that much about being there on day one with the new features. We are brought to you this episode by Sourcegraph. So you've hired a brilliant developer. That's awesome. Now you have to get them onboarded. If your company is growing, onboarding new developers will be a common occurrence, but it's a big undertaking each time. One of the biggest challenges for new hires is to get up to speed with the project their new team is working on. This can be tricky if the code bases your developers are working in are huge. Thankfully, Sourcegraph makes it easy to move quickly, even in those big code bases. Developers know that knowledge is most useful when it's findable. 
Centralization is helpful, but given the fact that most companies store knowledge in multiple locations, how do you make knowledge accessible to those who need it? Sourcegraph is a code intelligence platform that gives developers what they need to drive their own learning over time and in different situations. Without Sourcegraph, teams need to rely on asking colleagues or reviewing out-of-date documentation. This is cumbersome and time-consuming. But with Sourcegraph, every developer can search across millions of repositories to find specific code, saving time for themselves and everyone else. So when you know the big questions actually do come up that aren't answered by that, you know it's the important stuff that's worthy of the extra time. Sourcegraph was created to make developers' lives easier. Today, they work with leading companies across every industry, including three out of five of the top tech companies, plus PayPal, Uber, Plaid, GE, Reddit, and Atlassian. Visit about.sourcegraph.com to learn more. That's about.sourcegraph.com to find out why some of the biggest tech companies in the world use Sourcegraph and to see what it can do for yours. Or to click the link in the show notes to let them know that you heard about them from us. Once again, about.sourcegraph.com. Our thanks to Sourcegraph for their support of this show and Relay FM. So I think the way the place that it might be interesting just to, to wrap up this discussion is just to talk a little bit in practical, more practical terms about some of the kind of things that we do to get ready for this. You know, whether it ends up being a big deal or a small deal, we'll find out. But definitely there's some things that we can do. And specifically something that I've tried to, to really focus on and pay attention to this year is uh, performance testing and making sure that my apps are – um, solid on this. And I shared a, sort of some of my tips and tricks for this um, last end of last week, and I got a lot of interesting questions about it. And it seemed like a good place to kind of unpack a little bit about what I do um, here. And so the first thing I think that is interesting is to understand that when I talk about performance testing, it's like you're trying to make sure that your app, you know, that n- no action takes m- more time than you would hope it or than the user would expect it to and sort of in some ways takes the least amount of time possible and uses the least amount of memory and resources um, in the process of doing that. But what's difficult and challenging about that is obviously it was one thing when we were in here, you and I would remember in the early days of the iPhone where it's like there were like two iPhones, three iPhones. And like, that was it. If you, if you worked, if you tried it on all three of those, then you, you know, you were good and it you had a very easy and comprehensive test suite. Whereas now, I mean, I think I, I support devices back to at least the 6S, I think, generation of, of iPhones, maybe even slightly, I think, I think it's as far back as I go. Um, and that's a lot of phones and a lot of things between now and then. And so having like a reasonable testing strategy for that can be a little complicated. And so it's like the approach I take, and this is something that I think is, has worked pretty well for me and I think um, sort of seemed to have some resonance for people, is to sort of instead of trying to have an expansive view of performance testing, that my app needs to be amazing and run perfectly, and I'm going to put the effort into testing it on all devices, what I do is I take a look at my my stats for my app and kind of look at the processor generations. So I don't particularly care too much about different screen sizes. There's a little bit of that can be a little complicated, that um, certainly on some of the older uh, devices like the plus phones had a very different performance characteristic to the standard size phones but in general even if you just look at processor generation and I, I sort of i'll plot what percentage of my users are running each generation and what i tend to do is make a graph that shows kind of the cumulative coverage so if you imagine the iphone 13 generation which in my case is about 17 percent of my users um, and then the next group is the iPhone 12 generation. And I add the number of people running 12 and 13 together. And in my case, I get 40%. And you kind of keep working your way back with an increasing percentage. And it tells you kind of how many people are running this device or faster. And you almost inevitably, you end up with this kind of like asymptotic curve where you end up with a point of diminishing returns. And for me, 
that's right right around the iPhone 10 10s generation that if i get you know, if, if if my app is running great on an iPhone 10s that covers 86% of my customers for some running great on an iPhone 10 that's 94% and so for me i don't really worry too much about people sort of on the long tail of that beyond that and there's the reason for that and i think and this was the part that i think was most interesting to talk about is a lot of people say like well don't you want your app to be great for everyone um and it's like yes that's great in the ideal sense and sort of the conceptual um version but the real reality is what's tricky with performance work is usually what you'll do is you'll run a couple of tests you'll use your app application you'll run through instruments these all these types of places and you'll find the slowdowns you'll find the points where it's being slow and then you have to address that and sometimes it's just as easy as oh i'm doing something that i don't need to you know there's some wasted work there's an, a very inefficient solution um and you can kind of get free performance wins and obviously take care of all those you know take advantage of easy you know free performance wins but the reality is, is usually at us after you've gotten rid of all those is you end up in the place where you're going to be having to change your application's behavior or the way you've structured your code in order to make it faster by introducing things like caching or using a more sophisticated or complicated algorithm or any number of things that you need, might need to do to make something faster and that introduces complexity and risk you know and possibility of bugs and so it's important i think to set a baseline of performance that you are comfortable with and anything below that is just you're not going to worry about because if i wanted to make my app run perfectly on an iphone 6s i'm going to have to jump through all kinds of hoops and all do all kinds of complicated things with caching and you know very low level work in order to make that happen and as a result i'm going to introduce more bugs and so for me i tend to take the approach that instead i'm just going to focus on performance of my app at a very it's like find a level that's comfortable find a level that i can feel good about testing on and just once 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 it's good enough from there it's good enough and i don't worry about sort of below that level and for, you know for me that's been working great i think you know my main testing device all summer has been a 10 uh, an iphone 10r which is i guess the 10s generation um and so it's you know representative of 86% um of my users and it's as long as it's good enough on there it's been good enough for me and i found that this sort of this approach has been kind of freeing me from feeling like i have to really go you know sort of go way down the the rabbit hole on some of my older devices where it's just really hard to get good performance without jumping through some really complicated technical hoops yeah i should i should do something like that it's it's a little harder for me to do performance uh, evaluation overall because i have a huge variety of of like sets of podcast data that, that people can have in overcast basically like when i get um you know i'll, I'll occasionally get an email or a report from somebody saying hey the, you know the, it's it's been slow on my phone recently and they'll usually drop in or you know upon re upon reply i can get them to tell me like oh i have 40 gigs of podcast downloaded oh okay well this is a bit of a different situation than you know i have on my phone like maybe two gigs of podcast which i consider to be a lot <laughs> and and that's and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating that that's actually the numbers that I that people report like yeah. tens of gigs of podcasts among hundreds of, of subscriptions. I'm like, okay, well, this is a different situation than than what I'm usually testing on myself. Um, and it's it's really hard to to performance test for the extremes like that. You know, like I, I have like some you know I, I have like a script that generates a very large account whenever I need one, and I can test with you know a, a huge backlog of podcasts or very high number of subscriptions. You know, I, I could I have tests for that, um, but I, I admit I don't use them very often because it's just really slow. No matter 
Well, you know, no matter what I run it on, when, when the when the data sets get really, really big. But I don't know. I, I should do more of that as, as part of my process of becoming a responsible developer at some point. <laughs> Maybe. But I, I think but the point you're making there, though, that I think is good to drive up is this. If you optimized Overcast for the extreme situation, it is not necessarily true that that would benefit the typical situation. And, and I think that subtlety is often lost in these discussions that – you know, if you had someone who is subscribed to, to 10,000 podcasts and your sync system was designed and structured in such a way that it worked really well for them, it may not work as optimally for someone who has a typical amount, which is, I don't know, like 50 or 10. Um, and I think this kind of thing is just good to be circumspect and not get too wrapped, sort of wrapped up in your own mind about chasing down the extremes which potentially is introducing risks and problems for the typical case. And it's like, in your case, if someone has that many podcasts and it's like, it's slow for them, it's like, okay, that's unfortunate, but they're representing like 0.01% of your user base. And it's way better to make sure that like your initial sync speed and sync speed, if you only have 50 shows, is like absolutely, you know, sort of super, super, super snappy, amazing. And that's the experience that almost everyone's going to have. And so if doing something that doesn't scale to, you know, 10,000, but works great at 10, um, you know, actually is a good idea, I think. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for that. That makes me feel a little <laughs> better whenever I get those reports. Well, yeah. best of luck to you and to everyone out there dealing with these next two weeks, which are probably going to be very, very busy for all of us. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will talk to you in two weeks. All right. Bye.